Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, you know, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Bet Online has you covered all the news, scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. You head to the website, betonline.ag, or you use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey gang, Mike and Mark with you, and we're joined on this episode by the 2005 Rookie of the Year. He's a man who skyrocketed to the major leagues out of the University of Texas and then spent 13 years among the top closers in all of baseball. And Mark, Houston Street grew up in the shadow of a famous father in the Texas limelight, carved out a wonderful career on his own. Not easy to do under that kind of scrutiny. Uh, agreed, Mike. Uh, you think about his dad, James, uh, 20 and 0 as a quarterback at University of Texas, two cotton bowls. But he set a tone for Houston and how he was going to represent not only his dad, his family, and the values. But if you look at Houston Street's career, it wasn't about velocity closing games, it was about pinpoint control that he had to learn at University of Texas. This was a guy that just did it right, and I absolutely loved watching his career. Houston, 13 seasons in the big leagues, four different teams, couple of all-star games, three postseason runs, first-round draft pick, a lot to look back on. It was a remarkable career. If you had to, though, focus on one singular moment that you're most fond of, what was it? Um, You know, there, there's... In your career, you have moments that define you. You have moments you have to overcome. You have moments that, you know, you reminisce on. I never got to win a World Series. So that probably would have been the the moment for me. But um, when I was on the Rockies in 2009, I got traded from the A's. And the year before, uh, up-and-coming pitcher named Brad Ziegler had, you know, started his career off with 32 innings, scoreless, I think, and taken my closers job. And obviously, I wasn't too happy about that. No one, you, you always, you're a competitor, so you always want to believe that you deserve the job. Um, he deserved to take it from me. Uh, I think they made the right decision. I was furious about it at the time. Um, but I made a huge mistake that year, which was like, I spent the last, like, month of that season kind of feeling sorry for myself. Um, kind of really looking down upon I, I just wasn't appreciating the fact that I'm still in the big leagues. I'm 23 years old, 24 years old, and I've got all this opportunity. So I get traded to the Rockies. Now I get to be a closer again, uh, win the job out of, out of camp. And, and it's like May, it's like April 30th or 20th or whatever. And I lose my job again. I lose my job. And so now you can't be, you know, you can't be miserable for a full season. And there was a guy, there was a, a teammate of mine, Glendon Rush. And Glendon was always in my ear in a very, very positive way. And for anybody that knows Glendon, they just know he's always happy. He's, a, he's one of the most beloved, sweethearted, awesome competitor teammates, but played in the big leagues for, you know, a decade himself. And uh, he just kept telling me, you got to think like a closer. You got to keep, you got to keep staying positive, dude, like, and I was talking to him about the year before. So um, I'm pitching on the Rockies, and we're actually playing the Padres. And it's a Sunday game, getaway day. Our, our whole bullpen had pitched uh, the Saturday before, and we're winning We're winning this game 9-2 to two, going into the sixth inning. And I, I have no chance of pitching in the game because we're winning. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they, it was one of those things when you lose your job, Sometimes they, they tell you that they're giving you a break to give you a mental break, but sometimes they're just giving you a break and use, using anything they can to keep you calm. And I, this was a little bit of both. Uh, Clint Hurdle was my manager at the time, and I think he handled it perfectly. He was very direct with me, which I've always, I always really appreciated that. He was like, hey, listen, like, this is the truth. Here are the facts. Deal with it. And I always liked that about him. Um, but it was Glendon who really stayed – in my ear about staying locked in 
you know, because this year before, I started feeling sorry for myself. I really did. I wasted the last month and a half. I don't think I gave up a run. Sometimes I did pitch better when I was angry. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I look back on that, the end of that 2008 season, I think, man, like I was so young, you know, like I was so unappreciative of the moment I was in. And so here's Glendon in my ear. I'm sitting in the bullpen. It's the sixth inning. And my bullpen gives up three runs in the seventh and then two runs in the eight to make the score nine to seven. Well, I mean, Hurdle burned through every single pitcher before me in the bullpen. I was like the last guy out there. So it's nine to seven going into the ninth. I'm the only guy left. So I have to get the save. Like they're like, you know, and so I, uh, the, the night before as fate would have it, Heath Bell, beautiful Heath, had saved and he I think he made the all-star game that year and he he he, was, he and I were friends actually after this but he had he kind of popped off on camera on a post-game interview where he kind of said you know I'm gonna keep my job I'm not gonna be a closer that loses his job like Houston Street <laughs> yeah he said that wow so before the game that wow. day before the game that day I actually went out in the center field and confronted him and I, I was ready to fight. Like, I, I was ready to be like, I don't care how big you are, dude. And he he immediately was apologetic. He was like, man, I'm so sorry. I let my emotions get the best of me. Um, super sweet about it. Super apologetic. Even wrote me a letter. And, you know, and, and I stood up to him. I just said, hey, you know, you don't know me. And we're supposed to pull for each other. We're closers. Like, we're there's not very many of us. Like, you know, I want you to do good. Mariano did good. Trevor Hoffman did good. But, like, let's pull for each other. He goes, man, you know, but a lot of that was like, I'm sitting there in that moment. Instead of getting mad, I'm just thinking about what Glendon Rush had been feeding me in my head. You know what I mean? Like, don't, you know, so I was trying to build him up in a weird way. So here I am. I'm nervous because my career's on the line. I go into pitch and I ended up striking out the side. I strike out the, I strike out three guys in a row. No one gets on base. Uh, I think I threw 12 pitches, three K's. In my ball or in my locker after the game was a uh, a baseball. And with the date, my stat line, one inning pitch, three Ks. And it just said, not a closer, huh? And I was like, and so I, I still actually have the baseball. And I, I kept that baseball in my glove every, well, every single day just to remind myself to like, one, it's hard to be a closer. Two, you have to appreciate you're in the big leagues. But three, like, build people up. Like, that was always a reminder to stay positive, to help people. And uh, and I, I did. I put that ball in my gamer glove every single day of my career after that. Interesting, Houston, that uh, we have these moments, right? You said 23, right. 24 years old. And as players, uh, we feel like we we already know a lot. Right. Until we don't, right? And you have that message from Glennon Rush, which is – is imperative for you to grow in the game. Yeah, he was a veteran. That, was that the first time that you felt like, man, I, I just grew up, and there's a lot for me to learn moving forward? Well, I think, you know, Mark Kotze told me something when I first came into the league. And he's like, hey, kid, this is like I'm five months into winning rookie of the year. I've got like a .97 ERA. I think I got it all understood. He goes, hey, stay humble. Like, Stay humble. You, you, I didn't figure this game out till I had about eight years in the big leagues, you know, and that was the first. And you do get humbled along the way, especially if you're not. You know, there's some guys that are Mike Trout, and uh, but he's gonna have, he's gonna face his struggles, and Mike Trout's probably faced inner struggles that we don't even know about, and it's just what makes him so beautiful as a player is that he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't let it affect him. I let it affect me in 2008. I really did. I let. I let the game get to me and I was just so thankful that there was a veteran who saw my talent and saw my potential, but really taught me. He, he taught me, I mean, there were weeks that led up to that moment, weeks of the mental grind of, you know, of Glennon just coming by. Hey dude, you good today? How you doing, bro? Like, Hey, let's go. Come on. Let, let's smile. Let's run around. Let's do some fun. Let's, Hey, let's play a, a game in, in batting practice. Where we, who can catch the most fly balls, the points game. And so I think what Glennon really shared with me and taught me and then inspired me with in that moment was like, 
it's the game is hard is hard enough as it is, but you've got to be you you you're gonna face struggles, and it's truly how you internalize those struggles that allows you to um, succeed and 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 grow from it. And I I would say that was probably the first moment in my major league career where I overcame something in a very positive way. And I and the the finish to that season was uh, I got my job after that. And I was still scared every time out. I was like, if I blow the next save, I'm losing my job again. So it wasn't like it just evaporated. But I kept that ball in my glove. And at first, what that ball meant to me was not a closer. I don't want to hear those words ever again. Right? I don't want to hear those words ever again in my entire career. I don't want to hear those words. Then what it began to mean to me was like, as I learned the process of what it takes to be a successful major leaguer is it's every day. It's every single second of every single day. What's your routine? What's your process? What's your mental game? And you know, that ball symbolized that to me, that that routine and that process is going to deliver the results that I desire. And I, I look at it before every time I pick up my glove, I look at that ball and then w- walk out to the bullpen. And it inspired me every day to, to keep that same attitude. That was back in 2009, as you pointed out. You had 35 saves that year. Let's spin the clock back, though, because you made an interesting point that you really hadn't faced any struggles. And from the outside, it would appear your talent kind of led the way for you. As we said, your first round pick, and the way I read it is you've got about 20, 21 games worth of minor league experience before <laughs> boom, right? You make the 2005 opening day roster uh, for the Oakland A's. Did you go to camp thinking you were going to make it and like, Hey, I, I can't make a mistake at this level. What was the mindset going in? How, how'd you even find out you made the club? Well, I'll be completely honest. Billy Bean, when he signed me said, Hey, we're going to move you to single A. It's kind of a funny story. I feel bad. Dave Joppy was my single A manager, and he was such an awesome man. Like, loved his players, loved his players at that level, right? You know I mean, you you get a lot of managers or people in single A. It's just hard to be happy, you know. Yeah. Um. And Dave Joppy loved his players, and so I'll never forget. So I signed my contract. Just to give you the background. Billy Bean's like, listen, you're gonna pitch ten innings in single A, then you're gonna move to double A, then you're gonna pitch. 10 innings there, and depending on how you do, you might move to AAA, and then depending on how you do a AAA, you're going to maybe get called up in September for the big leagues. So anyway, I get to like my 11th or 12th inning in single A, and Dave Joppy calls me into his office, and he's like, hey, we need to talk to you. You know, he's going to do the whole he's going to do the whole thing, right? Like, he's going to surprise me. And he's like, you're going to double A, kid. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. No, they told me when I signed. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I didn't realize how rude that was. You know, like, like I'm a 21 year old kid telling my manager they're giving me more information. They're giving. Me, I'm sorry. Like, and he, I was like, yeah, they told me when I signed, coach. And he's like, you know, I called him coach, of course. Yeah. And like, no, still in college mode, and uh, and he was just like. Sir, you're not excited? And I was like, coach, I was like, I was like, Dave, if I don't end up in the big leagues by the end of the summer, I'm gonna be furious. You're like, but that was my honest to God mindset. Um, which I'm thankful for. I'm actually quite thankful for my mindset at the time. I think it really did allow me to be just totally naive to what I was doing, um, which laid the initial foundation for my career because. And 2008, seven and 2008, when I struggled, oh, I mean, that was a, a, a rude awakening. And then 2009, as we just talked about, was me coming out of it. But, um, you know, I, I, I went to single A, then went to double A, then got moved up to triple A, pitched in the triple A playoffs. And actually, the, uh, another good one. So my, my, uh, my agent at the time is getting Steve Hilliard, a uh, beautiful human, and just... He calls me up that day. This is the AAA World Series championship day, right? Now, again, this is not a flattering story for me, but this is just, if anybody's listening and you want to learn from this as a mistake, you know, it's just sometimes as a kid, you can be so caught up in, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I know what I was caught up in. I thought I deserved to be in the big leagues. I thought I was better than every dude up there. 
including Octavio Dotel, you know, which yeah. was just so silly of me to think. And Octavio, OD was, OD was, I mean, that's a different moment I could, could have talked about was when he lost his, when he got elbow surgery, he came in the day he was getting UCL surgery and sat me down and talked to me for about an hour and a half about being a closer in the A's, A's locker room in 2005. But in 2004, that summer, I just wanted to be in the big leagues. You know, like I got drafted 40th overall, and I was furious about that. I got hurt that year. I was like, why? I should have been a top 10 pick in my head. And, you know, all these silly little things that are so insignificant. But I get the phone call in AAA that I'm not getting called up. Joe Blanton's getting called up. Nick Swisher's getting called up. Dan Johnson's getting called up. I'm not getting called up. I'm furious, guys. Like, I mean, so angry, you can't even, I am, oh, I'm mad. Like, I'm, I'm dejected mad. 21, how dare they not call me up after, you know, look what I just did, you know? Like, it's just, such a, when I look back on it now, it's like, you know, they've got, there's an organization, a bigger plan. Anyway, I pitched in the championship game that day. I threw nothing but fastballs. <laughs> Shook every slider. No, no. You know, excuse my language, but like this, like I'm, <laughs> I'm pissed. I think I came in with bases loaded, one out in the eighth inning and one run lead, and was just throwing heaters down the middle. And somehow, the Lord upstairs protecting me. They just kept swinging and missing, swinging and missing. <laughs> I mean, I'm throwing heaters right down the middle. And we win the AAA. I come in the ninth inning, throw heater after heater after heater, like I don't know, 14 heaters in a row, and. We, I strike out the last guy on a fastball up and away, left-handed hitter. The catcher comes, runs out. Everyone's jumping around, hugging me, and I'm just standing there. <laughs> in the You're middle still furious. Of the furious. I packed my bag. I got, went back to my hotel. I changed my flight from, like, noon to 6 a.m., went straight to the, 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 the airport and was like i'm out of here i was like i'm going i went straight to ut's weight room the next morning and was like there i'm making the big league team like i'm making the big league team and then i got to camp and uh i got to camp and they told me they sat me down and i always actually really respected this billy bean said you have no chance to make the big league team you have no chance uh you're gonna go to triple a uh we want you to get a few more weeks now what i didn't realize is you know, they're just protecting me from being a super two, mm -hmm, <laughs> but yeah. that's smart. I mean, listen, organizations got to do what they got to do. I don't, I don't, I understand it. It's a business model. Um, but we had two guys, Britt Reams and Chad Bradford get hurt. And again, you know, you look back over your life and there's so many pivotal moments where guys teach you how to be classy. You know, be, they lead by example, Chad Bradford has back surgery finds out he's having back surgery and he asked who's probably going to replace him in the bullpen. And they tell him in the meeting me. So I get a phone call from Chad Bradford that afternoon and he takes me to lunch. We go to Fuddruckers, which was one of my favorite burgers on the planet. Great burger. Great burger, right? The bread, the French fries, Fuddruckers is amazing. I mean, if Fuddruckers wants to like partner up, I'm in, you know, I don't know if I'm <laughs> a, guys are like, you know, want to be a Fuddruckers guy, but I would be, you know, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I do, I do, I do it for one free burger a month. You know, I'm on a diet now in retirement. But uh, and so we go sit down, and he just talks to me about the mindset of what of being a big leaguer in camp and being a bullpen guy, and what my role is going to be, being a rookie in the bullpen, how to handle myself, how to be down there in the first inning, how to make sure all the guys have everything for the bullpen bag, like stuff that you learn trial by fire. <laughs> you know, but in all seriousness, when I look back on it, it was that wisdom and that knowledge that allowed me to be fully prepared. And I didn't have all the veterans screaming at me. They were like, oh, wow, this rookie's humble. This rookie, like, he's taking care of us. Like, this rookie's got my sandpaper and he's got my bullfrog, you know, all the stuff they talk to you. They, you know, everyone, first of all, everyone's been using sticky stuff for a long time. So let's just right. be clear about, let's just right. be crystal clear about that. <laughs> Yeah, just to, to dive into that topic. Um, but I just got so lucky. I got so lucky in my career coming up. And then it was Kurt Young in the in, in the uh so I find out that now they call me in the office, they say you're gonna make the team. It's your job to lose. And I proceed to give up like 
eight runs in my next 10 innings. I think I pitched like 15 innings that year. The first six innings, I didn't give up a hit, not a base runner in camp. Then my next eight innings, I think I didn't give up. I didn't, I, I, I gave up like four homers. So I'm like, for sure, I'm not making the team. And we're standing there, you know, Sweeney, I think you were on the, 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 um, Giants. Cause did you get right. the, the game winning hit off me? The walk off? I, I pro yeah, but if it was an I, exhibition game, probably a good walk off. Yeah, that's when I, I think flourished. you did. Actually. I think, or you got a lead off head or something. But I faced you in that exhibition thing. You got a hit off me because I gave up a walk off, and that was on the Saturday in the 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 series between the A's and the Giants. Yep. And uh, and uh, I'm sitting on the left field. You know, they haven't told me anything. Nothing. Not a word. And Kurt Young is maybe it's the Friday game. Yeah, because the Friday game because we had two games left, and now I know I'm not pitching. And Kurt Young comes out to me. He's like, "Hey, so uh, what day do you want to throw your bullpen? Do you want to throw it? Would you like to throw it tomorrow, or do you want to throw it on Monday before we we uh, go to Baltimore?" And I was like, "Baltimore? What do you mean, Baltimore?" <laughs> He's like, "They haven't told you yet." And I said, "No." He goes, "He goes, you're making the team, kid." And I mean, I jumped and hugged him, wrapped my legs around him, lost my mind. Like best moment ever. That's a that's beautiful story. If you think about it, uh, Houston, I think it's interesting because this team, when you first made the made the club, uh, after two months, you guys were seventeen and thirty two, and you were trailing the Angels by twelve and a half games. I'm probably reminding you this, but you guys finished with eighty eight wins. You get the Rookie of the Year award, and for you, it's got to be like, hey, man, this is gratifying. I know I'm in my niche. I've had a lot of guys take me under their wing. Was there one guy that, that stuck out? Because to me, you look at that team. Jason Kendall was yeah. that guy that I feel like, man, if there's one guy that you're going to pick out that you want to, you just want to be on their team and just pick his brain, Jason sure. Kendall was that guy for me. I never had him as a teammate. But you got to throw throw to him. I, was that an influence for you in your rookie of the year? Uh, the most influential. Per, well, first of all, it was Kendall and Kotze were, 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 were the two mentors that, I mean, wore me out. Mm -hmm. Made me. I, mean, I thought of some horrible things that I was going to say to them, and I never did. Right. Yep. Because they were, they, it was the classic indoctrinization. They're trying, they're going to push you to the limits, rookie, rookie this, rookie that. But Kendall and Katsi were always brilliant in that, you know, they're going to blow you up in the middle of the clubhouse when you're in there. You do something stupid. You're eating your sandwich in the middle of the clubhouse, you know, 15 minutes before batting practice. And you think that you're just a part of the team. Like, I get to make a sandwich, you know? <laughs> like, like, what are you doing, rookie? Get out of the middle of the clubhouse with your food. Get your butt in your locker. Shut your mouth. No one wants to see you. No one wants to hear you. Like, just because you're closing baseball games, you're 21 years old, like, eat before you come to the field, okay? If I see you eating in here, you know, I mean, you go a month without eating at the field, you know what I mean? Like, right. You know, right. you're picking up bagels and you're eating them in the parking lot before you walk in the clubhouse. And then you'd be in the stall or the, the bathroom, and one of those two, Kendall Akatsi, walk in and like, hey, man, like, you're doing such an amazing job. Keep it up. Like, proud of you. Like, just keep mm -hmm. grinding. Like, I trust you. I trust you out there. What you did last night was amazing. The way you located, like, like that was balls of steel last night. And you just be like, you know, and it, but it would touch you because you, in a way that you, you, you look up to him. You know, in, in such a profound way, I looked up to Jason Kendall. Um, my favorite Jason Kendall story from my rookie year in camp is I have an at-bat against Moises Alou. <laughs> and I'm me, you know, I trust myself. And uh, I'm 21 years old, you know, in camp. And it's Moises Alou. And I, but I've got a good read on his swing. Like, I really did. Mm -hmm. I had a great read on his swing. Kendall's catching. And I'm dotting. You have to understand I'm dotting this day. Like, I, I've got perfect locate. But Moises Alou is fouling off every single pitch. And Kendall's throwing down fastball in. I shake. No, I want to slide her away. Fouls barely nicks it, you know. Kendall calls fastball up. I shake. No, I want fastball in, you know. Barely nicks it. Count goes all the way to 3-2. 
And finally, Kendall just lets me call my own game, and I strike him out. Slider looking right down the middle. 13 pitch at bat. We get in the dugout. Kendall goes, hey, man, great job. Wait, wait, wait. You got to say, this is like my first conversation with him ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> he goes, hey, great job. Great job. You know? Um, way to locate. You know, is that is that your first time facing Moises Alou? And I said, yeah, yeah, that is the first time, you know, it was nice to get him out. He goes, I faced him about a thousand fucking times, rookie. All right. <laughs> Next time, just call my pitches. We'll get him out in four pitches. All right. I was like, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. And I did. I don't think I shook him for the rest of the year. <laughs> like, I mean, so you want to know why I run rookie of the year? I, I, every time Jason Kendall put down a number, I just threw it. You know I mean? And the truth is, is that I probably had my best season pitching that year because he was calling the signs. I mean, it was really the way he put down fastball and he made me work in. Uh, had I had Kendall for four more years, I probably would have learned to pitch in. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I, I never learned to pitch in because I, I was never comfortable doing it. But he always – he made me a much better player. And then Mark Kotze was kind of the guy that um, – you know, we had the connection with Augie Garrido, and I'd always looked up to Mark. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be my – I wouldn't be – and then Mark was – we were together again on the Padres. Um, I would not have ended up in my career with the mentality that I had without Mark Kotze – uh, constant with him, wisdom, but it was his leadership in the clubhouse because Kendall was quiet. Kendall was a quiet guy, but Kotze mm -hmm. was a leader. Stand on the table, get us rallied, get us going. Um, and I always respected about those two men. Like they were, they were two of the best leaders I ever saw or ever was around in my entire life in anything. 23 saves that rookie year, but 324 in your career. So I know there's a lot to parse through, but do you remember your very first one in the big leagues against Toronto in June? Do you remember it at all? Anything significant about it at all? If you'd asked me who I got my first save against, I'd have told you the Rangers. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pretend it was the Rangers then. Do you, yeah. <laughs> do you remember? I mean, I think I remember. Do you remember one in particular, though, that was significant to you along that way where you were because you, you'd been a closer forever, even though it, probably as a kid even before college. But it seemed well, like that was your DNA. Do, is any do any of them jump off the page? Well, you know, you? the reason I don't think number one was significant was because I expected it. And I, mm -hmm. that was a big thing that I this is a big thing that I always thought I, it drove me nuts to watch closers celebrate after a save. Still drives me nuts to watch them celebrate. What did Mariano do? What did Trevor Hoffman do? There's 1,200 right. saves between those two dudes. But my whole thing is, you know why you're celebrating? Because you're kind of, you're excited. And you know why you're excited? Because you, when do you get excited? It's like a Christmas present that you open up you didn't expect to get. Sure. Like that's when you get really excited. That's what it looks like to me, right? Right. Like, I get a save. I expected to get the save. And that number, the first save, I expected to get. I remember Ray Fossey. Um, telling me, first of all, Ray Fossey gave me the great idea of saving every save ball, so I have them. I have every single one, all 324 of them. Now, that it was true. I have three sons, so they know probably where like 40 of them are because you know, <laughs> they found them, and they've, they've, they're probably out there in the front yard somewhere. But, um, yeah, you know, probably a, a, a big save for me in my career was uh, – was my 200th save actually on the Padres. I pulled my calf that year and was having a phenomenal season, had like a 0.6 ERA. And I, I honestly didn't really want to come back and pitch. I'm going to be completely honest in my own head. My calf was killing me. The team was losing. I, you know, if I came back and pitch, it was going to be three or four innings, you know, five innings, maybe. So I go into Buddy Black's office, my favorite manager of all time, not even like, I mean, that guy is genius as far as I'm concerned. And I just, we, I was always able to talk to him on a very real level and be vulnerable and be like, Blackie, do you really want me to come back and pitch? Do you want me to come back and pitch? And I was like, he's like, yeah, I need you to. I need you to. I need you to show these guys 
what being a champion looks like. And that is you come back. And if you pitch these la this last month slightly hurt, you don't have to cover first or anything like that. Don't pull your calf again. I said, well, I don't want to pull my calf going into off season and not be able to recover. He goes, we'll work through it. You don't have to cover first. We'll create a defense, blah, blah, blah. And so I came back to pitch. I gave up a run in every single outing I, I, I had, which made me took my ERA from like a 0.6 to like a 1.7 but I got three saves and I went from 197 to 200. And I remember getting that 200 save and Blackie was like, do you happy you came back and pitched? I said, yes, sir. I am right, hmm. because you got to go into the off season with 200 saves, you know, like it was kind of something I got to enjoy. Um, well, I didn't get to enjoy it for, for very long, but I, 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 it was something that was really, really, really meaningful to me to get that round number and motivated me. Um, but I just appreciated too another learning moment, like what, what being a leader as a veteran looked like, you know, um, which was playing hurt or playing sick or, or, or coming back and putting in that time. Um, and I always thought that was, uh, you know, that's, you know, the way Blackie coached me, managed me in that moment was he, you know, he knew what I was saying. Let me shut it down, you mm -hmm. know? And, you know, it, it, but he taught me some of the, there. we don't shut it down. Like if you can play and I'm so thankful for that now being retired, like I, 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 let me pitch now. I would love to, please. <laughs> you know, it's so much fun. So you, you're appreciative of moments like that. Yeah. Houston with the, with the 200 saves, that type of advice from Bud Black, who is, is a phenomenal baseball man, that sure. play, played, managed, coached everything. Uh, you end up with 324 career saves, which Mike Ari alluded to. I love your perspective on this because you already mentioned two legends that were that gave saves. But uh, you're in Oakland, and I think of Dennis Eckersley. Mm -hmm. uh, the Padres, I think of Trevor Hoffman. The Angels, uh, even Troy Percival comes to mind. Uh, you had perspective on guys that finished games. Was there one guy that stuck out in your mind that said, you know what, uh, he did it right and he did it the best way? Well, I mean, the, you can't you can't really say anything. There's there, there really isn't anybody better than Mo and Trev to me. And they go hand in hand. I, 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 I know Mo has the postseason accolades, um, but, you know, Trevor got to 600 first, like Trev was pitching with a blown out shoulder for <laughs> the last decade of his career. No one knows that. Or if they do know it, they should know it, or don't know it. They should know it. Like that's a man. Like that's a guy who showed up for his teammates. Uh, top, I mean, I, you've heard, y'all heard me say this before when I was on in the Padres after my 2012 season, 13 season and 14 season. Hmm. Why were those the best three years of my career? <laughs> Why? Because Trevor Hoffman retired in 2011 and he was my mentor for the next three years. Like magically I have the best three years of my career. There's no coincidence there. Um, and just hearing his work ethic, hearing his process, I didn't get to do it as intimately like that with Mo. I got to talk to him, but for me, um, for me, it's Trevor and, and, and Mo, and you. But go look. Just go watch. You know, watch Mariano Rivera get the last out of the game, and watch me get the last out of the game, and you'll know exactly who I was copying, right? Uh -huh. Oh yeah, watch. If you watch, it's the exact almost. And I didn't realize I was doing it until after the fact. But it was like, you know, I grew up watching Mo be a closer, and I was like. Like that guy just exuded like the way guys talked about him when he came in the game, the way guys talked about Trevor, when he came into the game, it was like, I, I got to see Trev when hell's bells one time in San Diego and he got saved and he beat us. And uh, I mean, my, my teammates were happy to lose. They were just excited to see hell's bells. They were just like, they were their witnesses to, to hear enter Sandman in old Yankee stadium and Mariano come jogging out with his super smooth jog and his super smooth motion. Um, yeah, I just don't think there will ever be two closers in that category ever. 
not even close. They're mm. they're they're the Cal Ripken, Babe Ruth. They're 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 the unbreakable two of closing, in my opinion. Yeah, very fair. I think universal assessment. Really, uh, a lot of folks in the game clearly feel that way. You'd mentioned uh, how much you enjoyed your time in San Diego and, and the significance of. Uh, getting a chance to to learn from Trevor Hoffman a bit. You make a couple of all-star teams there. That's a special mm-hmm. moment for a player. 2012, 2014, you're on the all-star team. Either one of those uh, resonate with you in any particular way? Yeah, well, I think 2014, I mean, my first all-star game is important uh, because I made it. I finally made it. I, 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 I'm going to be completely candid. I felt like I should have made it in 2005, 2006, 2009. <laughs> uh, I think I was leading the league in saves in 2010 and didn't make it um so that first one was important but you gotta remember i got hurt that year i pulled my lat in may and you know we not to knock our team we just didn't we didn't have anybody else performing and i hadn't given up a run in 20 innings um or maybe that's i'm getting my ears mixed up here i just know that in 2012 when i made the team I felt like I made the team and I deserved to make it. But in 2014, when I made it with Tyson Ross as an alternate, that was probably equally as satisfying just because that was the year where I was like, I got to make the team. Like I, I hadn't given up a run. And I remember telling Blackie, like Blackie, if I don't, if I can't make the, the all-star team this year, I'll never make it. And, but when Blackie told me that I made the all-star team that first time uh, and hugging him in his office, cause you wake up on all-star morning and, and, and you don't know, no one knows, but whoever made it gets called into the office and they tell you. And when Blackie told me that I made the team, I hugged him because it was like, you're, you know, it's one of those, it's like a threshold, like you're forever an all-star like you, 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 you know, I would have loved to make it all those other years, just like I would have loved to make the Hall of Fame. But at the end of the day, when you make one all-star team and then make the second one, um, the respect that I have now for the guys, 10-time all-stars, you know, some of the guys, 15-time all-stars and the Hall of Famers. And so I just have so much respect and I'm so thankful that I did make those teams because, you know, I wasn't a perennial all-star. I wasn't of that caliber. I was good. I, I would say there were years that I, were, I was great. Uh, I put together a good resume. But to be a Hall of Famer, you've got to be just like stupid good, you know? And it's so cool. I just have such a respect. I, I, I don't, you know, Swing, you talk about, I mean, the respect that I have for the game now, three years, four years into retirement is so much more. Because I vividly remember in 2017, like, honestly being like, you know, like, I've, I've done it. It's good. I'm going to go home. I'm going to raise my kids. Like, I'm going to enjoy retirement. Um, you know, I and then you think I could have kept playing if I'd have just gone and got the surgery on my shoulder and could have done this if I'd have just gotten the surgery on my ankle. But when you look back on it, and now I think what it would take to get in shape to play a major league season. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I think, God, those guys playing are so special. Like it's so cool. And then you think the perennial all-stars, all of famers, that's what the all-star game really means to me, whether I, you know, I'm making it or not making it all those other years or anything like that. The fact that I made it a couple of years, it, it means a lot to me. Yeah. Feather in your cap too, Houston. Uh, the, the biggest thing as players is we, we always play for our teammates, our teams. Uh, you're always a team first guy, which I've always sure. respected. Uh, but postseason experience, right? Uh, 2006, 2009, 2014 with the Angels. Um, what meant the most to you going to postseason? Uh, because that's something that I think is the grind, right? With your with your teammates. What what did it mean to you? You know, I I, I everything. I mean. I think that's what, and I'm going to just say it, it's the truth. I was on four winning teams out of 13 years. Um, Losing sucks. Like, it takes the life out of you. It makes the season a grind. 
the when you're on a team that is going to lose and you know you're going to lose and it's July 28 and you're two weeks after the All-Star break and you've got to endure August and September. You know, I used to say winning takes care of everything. Winning takes care of everything. Your starters are going to get their wins. Your relievers are going to get their holds. Your closers are going to get their saves. Your run guys are going to drive in runs. Your homer guys are going to hit their homers. Your batting average guys are going to get on base, right? Like all your role players are going to extend their careers because they're the type of role players that create wins, right? And it's crazy. Go look at all the teams with young winners, right? Look at our 2016 right? The A's team, young Nick Swisher, young Joe Blanton, even a young Eric Chavez, young Barry Zito, right? Young me, young Chad Godin, young Justin Dutcher, right? Young Marco Scudero. Mm-hmm. Everyone, anyone ever heard of Marco Scudero, right? That guy played 13 years in the big leagues. He barely made that team. He was getting cut. He was getting released, Bobby Crosby breaks his rib. Marco Scudero gets to play short, and but he's a winning player. And you talk about that team, Sweeney, coming back from 17 to 32, finished with 88 wins, but falling behind at the end, there's a winning team full of winning players, right? And winning players find a way to win. It's just a fact. And there are some guys, I felt like I was a winning player. Like when I got put on winning teams, I, I always had my best season, 2006, 2009, 2014. You put me on my winning teams, I would have my best season. I thrived with a winning team. But winning is so hard and so special. Um, those playoff main, those playoff runs meant everything because it just made the game so much more fun. I mean, there was nothing better than pitching on August 18th and not caring about my ERA or my save percentage or my wins or my losses or my innings or anything. It was, I'm on the mound. I blew the save in the ninth, but it's the 10th and we're trying to win the division. And I do not care. Send me back out for the 11th, right? Versus you're on a losing team and I, if I go back out there and pitch the 10th and the 11th, I'm not going to be available for the save tomorrow night. I just blow the save tonight. And I hate to break it to people, but that crosses your brain. Mm-hmm. It goes through your head because you, you know you're on a losing team. You're, you're, you're 18 games back and it's August 15th. You have no chance, right? Winning takes care of everything. Winning puts you in that mindset that makes you better, that Put you in the position to only want to win. I will do anything it takes to win. I, I have a three-run lead. I give up a two-spot. I got the save. Good job, me. I'm proud of myself. I got the save. And I think I'm so lucky that I got to play on those first two teams as winning teams because they really did teach me that. They mm-hmm. taught me that the best way to play Major League Baseball is to just compete. You're just competing to win. That's it. And if I blow the save, I got to get the next guy out. If that guy scores run, I got to get the next guy out. Um, and that's what winning teams do. You know, um, I actually asked Cal Ripken when I was uh, 20 years old and I was on team USA and I was going into my junior year and it was, it was actually me, Jared Weaver and Dustin Pedroia standing around Cal Ripken as young 19 and 20 year olds. Uh, and he was, we were all talking to him, you know, cause he came in the clubhouse and uh, we're on team USA and, and I just, at that point in life, I, I couldn't comprehend the idea of losing 62 games in one year. <laughs> I, 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 and I asked him, I said, how can you go into a season and if you win 100, you're going to lose 62? I don't think I've lost 62 games in my life. And that includes pickup basketball. Mm-hmm. That includes shuffleboard. Like... <laughs> At this point, I was like, and I, so I said this to Cal Ripken, like, as 20, I was like, I, I don't think I've lost 62 ever. Like, I think I've got like 41 total losses ever. And, th- and that's like including Mario Kart, you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, how do you go into a season? And if you have an amazing season, you're going to lose 62 times. His answer was beautiful. He talked about the, he said, well, the best teams individually 
you walk in a clubhouse 25 minutes after the game's over, you can't tell if they've won or lost. They're all just doing their business, going about their routine, right? And they've all got energy before a game. Real positive, great energy before the game is what all the, the common thread that all the great teams have. There is, there's this, there's this like elixir that's, you know, everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid, but it's in the air. We're going to win. That's what it feels like on a winning team before the game. And he goes, and individually for me, I just always took 10 at bats at a time. I was never over 20 or over 30. I was either one for seven. And then once I, if I got three hits and I was four for 10, now I'm over. And he goes, so you got to find ways to break up seasons and months and weeks and days um, so that you don't ever get yourself in too big of a slump because slumps can lead to slumps. Um, and so you just, you want to, you want to shorten, you know, minimize the valleys and extend the peaks. He's like, but at the end of the day, uh, he didn't know my name. So he probably didn't say Houston, but he, you know, he said at the end of the day, um, winning is an attitude. It just is an attitude. And yeah, I know I'm going to lose 62 games, but uh, if we win 87 games and we get into the postseason, that's good enough for me. Because I'm winning, my goal is to get the postseason and give me a chance. And that, to your point, Mark, about winning and just getting into the postseason, the moment you know you're going to the playoffs is the reason we spray champagne. Mm -hmm. When you make a season after all that work from October to October, because people want to think that it's, you know, April to October. No, 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 no. The offseason I'm sitting there. If I didn't make the playoffs the year before, I'm in the weight room in October going, all right, this is for next October. And all those reps and all those days and the track and the heat and the pulled hamstrings that you're finding a way to work through and the, all the sore muscles and all that. When you clench your playoff berth, you're spraying champagne. <laughs> it's that much fun. Um, it's the best feeling in the world making the playoffs is one of it was the best feeling I experienced in major league baseball, other than winning a world series. I can only imagine what it would us feel like to spray champagne as a world champion. Um, you know, but I know what it feels like to go to the playoffs and I'm thankful for that. You know, you can sense the frustration and the competitive nature uh, just in the way you describe that. And I wonder for our listeners in Texas, they know the lineage here and they understand the bloodline. Uh, with you and your family, but let's take a 30,000 foot view uh, for those who aren't as familiar, just to remind folks, your father, James Street, uh, passing away in 2013. This is a two sports star at the UT where you went to school. You guys were really, really close. He's a national football champ. He's got yeah. a couple of no hitters, a perfect game at the UT. I mean, you're growing up in the shadow in essence of greatness athletically. Is that where it all started for you, this quest to be the best, this expectation of yourself to be successful? Describe your upbringing. Yes, uh, is the answer. Um, my dad is was the most mentally tough person I've ever met. Um, everything is a choice. Every single day, you either get a little bit better or a little worse. You don't stay the same. Winning is being the best you can be but only you know if you gave your best. Getting from A to B is important, but how you get from A to B is equally important. Uh, the good ones learn from their mistakes. The great ones learn from other people's mistakes. Time is the only currency. These are all my dad's sayings that I grew up with from a little kid. Uh, but it, it, his first saying was, I think I can. You know? Sorry uh i think i can if you can if you can think you can you can he used to say just i think i can 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 and i'm talking this is me as a five-year-old going into kindergarten <laughs> like that's what i was being told at five but it's i think i can i think i can i think i can we don't say i can't we I, the i've gotten more trouble from between the ages of four years old and nine years old for using the word I can't. That was how I got in trouble. That was it. He didn't care if I failed as long as I thought I could and kept trying. Um, the beauty of you, you know, living in his shadow, so to speak, was he didn't make it feel like a shadow. He, he made it feel like sunshine. I mean, his perspective was 
Hey, bud, I've been there before. I've done it. So just ask me the questions and I'll give you the answers. I won't, I'm not trying to make you as good as me. I'm trying to make you better than me. So I'll teach you everything that I learned, everything, every mistake that I made, and then you can learn from my mistakes so you don't have to make them. And it'll save you time, time for you to go get better at something else, something that I didn't have time to go get better at. So he was just a genius in the fact that he was selfless. He understood what made him good. He was able to actually put it into words, um, which is the genius of all coaches, which is why he's the best coach I ever played for. With all respect to all the coaches I played for, including Audrey Guido, who's number two, but my dad was be the best. He was the most influential, get the most out of you type of coach ever. Um, but it, 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 his rules were simple. Do your best and have fun. And once, if you're not having fun anymore, go find something else to do. But find something, you know, you've heard it a thousand times, find something you love to do. But he defined winning as being the best you could be. But only you know if you gave your best. So there's no cheating. There is no, you can't, you can, you can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. And that's where he used to say, you know, someday, buddy, you know, get A to B, A to B, A to B. That's important. But how you got from A to B? And he'd draw a little line. He'd say, get A to B, straight line, straight line. But how you got from A to B? You know, he'd say, only you know how you got from A to B. And I'm just going to tell you something. If you're not proud of how you got from A to B, I don't know. But someday you're going to be 90 years old and you ain't going to have shit to do except remember all the shit you did. And if you're not proud of yourself, life becomes a prison sentence. And I, I just always thought that was so profound is that, you know, you see so many people taking shortcuts and it's like, will they be proud of themselves at the end? Is that winning? What is winning? Well, winning to me is, you know, in essence, the, the way the people we revere the most played the game, which is just with absolute respect, absolute heart, absolute hustle and a profound love for their teammates. And that to me was winning. Houston, uh, this is interesting because reading so stuff about your dad, I think it's fascinating how we uh, we present ourselves, how we're prideful for all the knowledge that our dads have done as our heroes. But I thought it was interesting. Legendary coach Mac Brown quoted, uh, we lost a great man, a great friend of mine who has done so much for the University of Texas, the state, and really America. His memory and his accomplishments, really, his influence, he will be missed. Yeah. The reason why I say that is that if you can have an impact on so many people, it molds yourself as a player. And I think you've represented that in your dad so well. And Thank the you. reason why we go back to UT, uh, you did it right. You did it with Augie Garrido, the legendary college coach that, that won almost 2,000 games. This guy yeah. was, was great. Uh, Frank Anderson meant a lot to you, the pitching coach yes. of of the of UT, because he changed your mechanics from an over the top thrower to the the three quarter sidearm guy. But what you did, and why I say all this stuff, is that you represented your family, your dad, your brothers, everybody, and number twenty five is going to be retired. And you're one of six guys, and I'll tell the six because I think our listeners need to know this. Keith Moreland, Bert Hooten, Roger Clemens, Greg Swindell, Brooks Kieschnick, and Scott Bryant, and now Houston Street. What's that feel like, man? Because I think it's it's legendary. Well, I'll be honest. Uh, that is, out of all the individual awards, that's my favorite. Um, you know, growing up in Austin, as my father's son, I just wanted to go to UT. I, 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 my dad asked me this question my sophomore year of high school. So, hey, have you thought about sports, like, you know, beyond high school? I said, well, I'm going to UT. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, if, if you, you're not good enough to play sports at UT, because at the time I wasn't. And I was like, well, then I guess I just won't play sports. Like, <laughs> I was going to UT. Like, I love UT. And so 
when you when you get honored that way and the way they presented it with Chris O'Connor and uh coach Pierce in the locker room um but just you know like you said it UT to me is hallowed ground UT to me is a place that I fell in love with from the age I was five and I wanted to go play football and uh, baseball at UT. Um, and, you know, I played Cedric Benson in the state championship game my senior year and that dissuaded me, you know, that was, that was me learning uh, what real football felt like. And I thought, okay, time to play baseball. But I, I just, I revered the university of Texas. Um, it's just one of those rare things. People are like, who was your favorite professional team growing up? I don't know. I, the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I I love them too much to love anybody else. And so, yeah, having my number retired there, it, they're, it's the best for me. Individually as, I mean, it's weird when you celebrate yourself, but at the end of the day, there's certain things that just mean a lot to you, and it does. Houston, you, you've been identified as your dad's, you know, going there and making him proud. Um, you're raising three boys along <laughs> with your wife, Lacey. Um, what's that like for you now? You're retired. Uh, it's it's always interesting. I grew up with, with three older brothers, too. So uh, being around all boys, it gets crazy. But, man, is it really cool because you did the same thing, and yeah. here you are raising three boys uh, what's your wishes for them moving forward? So again, going back to my dad, um, you know, there is an inherent truth that I experience now. Oh God, I do not want people to compare them to me, mm-hmm. right? Like I have no desire for that. If they don't want to play sports, you don't have to play sports. And I don't know if that's, you know, but that's what my dad defined as winning, being the best you can be. I don't care if it's piano. I don't care if it's golf, tennis, soccer. I don't care if it's art. I don't care if it's ballet or philosophy or poetry. I don't care if you're the garbage man. Be the best at it that you can be. Find a way to make to, 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 to make yourself better in that way, right? And, uh, and so that's really what I preach to them all the time. You know, first of all, they're lucky to have brothers. That's, you know, you're lucky to have brothers, guys. You're so lucky to have each other. Y'all will have each other for life. Secondly, encourage each other. You're going to fight. You're going to get mad at each other. But encourage each other. Don't don't diss, guys. There is a moment where I get you're mad at each other. But come on, like, help each other get better. And, And there's, you know, and these are all the things. I'm just coaching them just like my dad coached me. But, you know, to watch them grow, to watch them fight each other, to watch them beat each other, um, and then come back from it and lose, and uh, and to see their little attitudes growing, is, is it, that's the most important thing to me. I, I, I don't know if they'll be Major League Baseball players. I don't know if they'll be, you know, play as long as me or longer, or maybe they're better than me. They're pretty good. Ripken and Ryder and Ray are pretty good at sports. <laughs> but who knows and who cares as far as I'm concerned? But what I do concern myself with is their attitude. I do care that I, I put in them a profound respect for work ethic, accountability, um, trust in themselves, uh, positivity, and an overall desire for greatness. You know, I think that, that greatness is a choice. Um, and you, it's, it's a daily choice. And I want, I, I say that I don't care what you want to be. You know, my favorite Bible verse is Luke twelve forty eight: for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And I tell my boys that you've been blessed. You've been blessed with opportunity make the most of it. And when you do make the most of it, you, you will be proud of yourself. You will make other people around you better. And, uh, and you'll be respected for that. And Augie Greedo used to say it. You know what the ultimate reward is guys in all this respect. 
So that's what I coach my boys to have. Respect for themselves, respect for others, respect for the process. Well, Houston, we respect the time you were kind enough yeah, to man. give us. And Thank we you. really appreciate, we appreciate uh, not just what you're telling us in this brief span of time, but the time you've given us over the course of your career and given us the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Now we hope our listeners pick up a little bit of the same, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Well, folks, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings presented by Bet Online. And if you had as much fun as we did, please go ahead, hit the subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You pick the platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.